Hello and welcome to the CFB Winning Edge podcast brought to you by patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. I am joined by the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. You can find him on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish on the Twitter at Xavier, X-A-V-I-E-R underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And you can find me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. We're going to be going over the Pac-12 today, guys. And uh, I'm excited about it. I mean, I would have preferred to start with the Big 12 for my first show, Nick. But you <laughs> wanted to start with the Pac-12. So uh, <laughs> the first team we're going to give you, we're going to go 12-1 to 1, uh, on our rankings at CFB Winning Edge here. And the very first team starting at the bottom, and now we're still at the bottom, is Oregon State, Nick. Uh, 12, you've got them 92 overall in the FBS rankings. They are favored in one of 12 games, but their win probability projection is over three. So uh, dive in and tell us about Oregon State. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Oregon State, number 92 in our team strength ratings. Um, Obviously coming off a, a disappointing season, first year head coach Jonathan Smith uh, laid a, a foundation, but um, obviously a lot of room for improvement. They're an experienced team. They've got starters coming back at quarterback, running back, uh, their top wide receiver, tight end, nine starters on defense. So uh, a lot of experience. And then they've added uh, several transfers who could start um, on defense specifically. Two guys are, are uh, likely to uh, step into the uh, number one uh, spot on the depth chart, Addison Gums, transfer from Oklahoma, and Avery Roberts from Nebraska at uh, linebacker. Um, we can expect that uh, this team should be uh, improved. They are one of the uh, biggest gainers in our roster strength metric. They're up 5.5 points uh, since the end of last season. That's the second most in uh, the country behind only Utah. And I uh, heard a lot of good things about the offense, specifically during the spring. Jake Luton, experienced six-year uh, quarterback, uh, had an extra year of eligibility. Um, he had uh, rave reviews from the coaching staff during the spring. Uh, Jamar Jefferson is a budding superstar, potentially at running back, was a freshman All-American candidate. And uh, Isaiah Hodgins at wide receivers, an all-conference candidate, but uh, a lot of room for improvement. The offensive line allowed 48 sacks last year, which was the most in the country. And the defense was just bad, top to bottom. <laughs> I mean, they, they finished 129th in uh, three of the major uh, traditional statistical categories. Oh. They only forced eight turnovers all year. Uh, that was the, the only FBS program to have single-digit turnovers. So obviously a long way to go for Oregon State. I mean, Xavier, that Nick did a great job of saying, look, this team wasn't bad, but there's some silver linings here. Are you going to build on the silver linings or are you going to rip them apart? I'm going to rip them apart. Um, <laughs> when it comes to a team with experienced trash, um, it, it's never a, it's never a good thing. Um just because you have guys who are have been there for a long time doesn't mean that they necessarily get better in their time. We expect them to, but that's not always the case. And when you look at the numbers um, that Nick provides and when you look at just the overall team, there's nothing to look towards at the moment 
that would give you any sign that they're going to be immensely better than they were last season. Um, I know the one silver lining that I will give them is that three of their first four games are at home. So that would be the one silver lining I would give them to start the season off. Their one away game um, to start the season is Hawaii, another very winnable matchup. So if you're a fan of Oregon State, that is where I would look to see how good this ball club is going to be. Um, You know, I am not going to sit here and say that you guys are going to start off the season three and one or four and oh i'm not going to go that far but when you have three home games you get a good glimpse of how good a ball club is going to be uh for throughout throughout the rest of the season um also their big games are also at home this year against utah against washington as well and against arizona state so like i said home i'm having that uh, home cooking may be a recipe for them to sneak a couple of sneaky wins in there as well in the second season for the head coach. I mean, I got to be honest. For what I see Oregon State for this year is a nice warm up for Spencer Sanders. So uh, <laughs> they open up against Oklahoma State. It is at home, which is nice. But uh, being the college fantasy football nerd that I am, uh, seeing Spencer Sanders or Drew Brown, whoever should start for them up against that Oregon State defense that Nick just mentioned was 129th uh, in all the major categories. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to. So, And I know you guys did the SEC last year, uh, or last week, excuse me, and the uh, you, know, you spent a lot of time on these teams, but uh, we're going to jump from 92. <laughs> we're going to be done with Oregon State as long as you guys are fine with that and move to Colorado, who we have as the 11th-ranked team in this conference, 76 overall. Um, Their win probability is over four, but they're only going to be favored, it looks like, in two games right now. Uh, Strengths, they've got a good quarterback and wide receiver and a good linebacker, uh, but the running game is questionable and the depth and a tough schedule for them, right, Nick? Absolutely, yeah. Colorado, uh, it's interesting. They're they're a team that's... You know, I, I hate to to put it quite like this, but it's kind of a stars and scrubs situation. Um, <laughs> they've got some really, really good players. LaVisca Chenault might be the best wide receiver in the country. He's, he's definitely in the conversation. Steven Montez is an experienced, I think, underrated quarterback. Uh, the two of them are definitely one of the best quarterback wide receiver combos in the conference. And then Katie Nixon is a really good number two option. Uh, he stepped up when Chenault was banged up a little bit last year. And then on defense, uh, yeah, they've, they've got um, a talented uh, linebacker, Nate Landman, and defensive end Mustafa Johnson was highly productive. Um, we've talked about our production points before. Uh, last year, Mustafa Johnson, after he transferred from junior college, actually posted the highest rate of production points per game of any player in the country. So he was a standout performer in year one. But that you know, uh, there are a few other guys that are uh, you know quality Pac-12 players, but the depth just isn't there right now for the Buffs. And it's always difficult when you're in a coaching transition. You mentioned that running back is a position that's uh, a, definitely a question mark. Uh, new head coach Mel Tucker, the 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 word on the street is that he uh, really would prefer to lean more on the running game than Colorado did last year. And right now they're not really built for that. They've got, you know, their, their best assets are two receivers and a quarterback. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that change in philosophy uh, kind of works itself out. Um, and just, you know, who's going to get the carries. 
nobody in the backfield right now has started a game. The most experienced running back uh, on the roster actually moved to tight end during the spring. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who, you know, really steps up and, and becomes the primary ball carrier. Alex Fontenot has played 12 games, and they've got a true freshman, Jaron Mangum, who uh, I think could be, uh, by the end of the season, the primary ball carrier. He's the highest rated player um, in the backfield for them uh, as far as his uh, 247 rating coming out of high school. And he's a big guy. You know, he's a big back for for the roster. He's 6'1", 214. Um, so should be able to, to carry a decent load for them as well. But um, the, the schedule, you know, even if uh, the running game were to take care of itself, the offensive line were to improve and, and depth were a little bit better on defense, the schedule is tough. I mean, this is probably one of the top five toughest schedules in the country, and they draw literally the top four teams from the north. They have to go to Oregon, to Washington State, and then they play Stanford and Washington at home. So that's just a, a pretty brutal uh, schedule, plus Nebraska in the non-conference. So it's going to be difficult to uh, get back to five wins. Uh, four seems maybe a little optimistic. Now, Xavier, are you buying into the studs and scrubs? And I just want to make a comment here, too, that I saw Jaron Mangum was the guy that they were pointing out the most during the spring game. So, uh, Xavier, what do you think about uh, Colorado this season? Uh, is that studs and scrubs mantra correct? I, I, you have to agree to an extent. Uh, when you look at the team, it's very top-heavy. Um, obviously, we see guys like uh, Montez and Chanel and Nixon, who just are the faces of this program. And they're going to be the people that you're going to look to Colorado to lean on going into this season. Uh, my only issue with that is that, especially coming from uh, Steven Montez, the quarterback, is in big games last year, he tended to fade. Um, we look at just the way he played last season against the bigger teams. And once then, as Nick just said, uh, quite clearly, they play the top four teams in the North. He's going to have to play better and bigger games for them to have any success. Uh, Mel Tucker is going to want to lean on the running game, but you can't trust a, a, a running back core who's never gotten touches in those big matchups. And you're going to have to lean on your senior um, and your two junior wide receivers who, for the most part, carried you last year as well. Uh, so the mantra that you uh, so, you know, excellently said is probably going to be the fitting thing for Colorado this year. But they're going to need their studs to really be studs for them to have any chance in any ball game that they come out and play in. All right. Let's move uh, up a little bit to Cal. And I'm a little bit, bit surprised to see Cal ahead of Colorado uh, just mm -hmm. for for my sake. <laughs> Uh, you know, Cal, I, I watched them at the, um, at the bowl game last year and it was, uh, cheese it bowl. The cheese <laughs> it was not fun. Um, and they've got, they've got difficulties. I mean, I went to go see Patrick Laird and Laird didn't get to play, but I did get to see nine interceptions. So that was fine. Uh, but we've got them 65 overall 10th in the pack 12, of course. Uh, the strengths, the defense, especially the defensive backs, you know, like I said, nine picks. But the offense, um, I mean, for me, being a, a college fantasy football nerd, guys, there is just no name brand recognition here. There is pretty much no one. So, Nick, how is Cal going to uh, be better than Colorado and Oregon State in this conference? Well, uh, the short answer is 
the defense. I mean, they they really leaned heavily on the defense last year. They actually won twice when they scored uh, 15 points or fewer. But then on the other hand, they lost twice when they allowed 19 points or fewer. So um, that that's, you know, a recipe for a lot of close ball games. And, you know, you can you can obviously get somebody on the right night in the right spot. They beat Washington last year uh, without scoring an offensive touchdown. Um, so things like that can happen. We've seen them, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they blew out a highly ranked Washington state team. So, uh, things can click for Cal on a particular night, but it, it is just kind of, you have to wonder where the points going to come from. And Chase Garbers was a freshman starter last year. He got seven games of experience. He's, he's, you know, has an opportunity to, uh, grow and, and, you know, develop into, uh, definitely a, a better player, a more competent quarterback than perhaps we saw at times last year. Uh, and they also have a, a former UCLA quarterback, Devin Mobster, who's, uh, going to be there potentially challenge for, um, that role, uh, for the, for the starting spot, um, at running back, it's hard to see, you know, who, who's going to, get the carries. Like you said, they've got to replace Laird. Uh, Deshaun Collins and Christopher Brown are, are two guys that appear to be in some order, the number one and number two. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Brandon McIlwain, who was uh, a quarterback last year and a short yardage guy and did some good things, particularly on the ground. Um, it seems that he's going to be kind of in a slash role of sorts this year um maybe as with running back as his primary position but um it'll be interesting to see what they do with him you know he he probably has uh maybe the highest ceiling of anybody uh, on this offense um so you definitely want to get him involved somehow so uh, i'm perhaps most interested to see what happens to him. And then they've got a former uh, Michigan transfer, Kakoa Crawford, coming in at, at wide receiver, who's a highly rated player. We have him as a 90.82 in our VGR+. Plus. So um, that that offense is definitely going to need to step up. They're going to need to, you know, on, on the one hand, their offensive coordinator, Bo Baldwin, uh, really had – a lot of success when he was the head coach at Eastern Washington. They put up a lot of points when he was in charge there. So he has a strong track record, um, but it's been disappointing so far, but there's an opportunity for growth. You got to think Baldwin has a track record. He can, he can perhaps uh, get them to another level this year. Um, but if not, this team's going to rely on the defense, arguably uh, the uh, top, Secondary in the country, definitely the top secondary in the Pac-12, uh, according to our roster strength metrics. And uh, this is a top 20 defense just across the board. So um, they'll be in a lot of games, but you got to wonder where the point's going to come from. Xavier, this Cal team, um, a couple of brutal non-conference games as well. North Texas is not going to be easy. And on the road in Mississippi, uh, this Cal team, what do you think? Is this all defense and, you know, cross your fingers on offense? Absolutely. Um, when you look at this team, it's very quite plain to see how they're going to win ball games, And it's going to be with turnovers. It's going to be winning the possession battle um, offensively and trying to make sure that their defense uh, essentially keeps them in ball games enough for their offense to just do enough. Uh, they're going to probably kick as many field goals as they as they possibly can to stay in most of these ball games as their defense does their absolute most you know on their side of the ball 
California is not going to shock anybody with putting up 35 points this year. However, they're going to, like Nick said, they're going to have a really good opportunity this year to capitalize on their defense being so strong. I mean, when you have an offense that's ranked in the bo- in the basement in all three categories, uh, quarterback, running back, receiver, and O-line, you're really, really going to be leaning on a defense that has so much talent. Um my only worry would be, you know, over the long haul of a long college football season, can the defense keep it up? Uh, there's going to be games where the defense is going to need the offense. And will the offense show up or will they fade away like they did multiple times last year? Uh, so depending on how that goes, if they show up on a consistent base- basis, that's a good recipe for the Cow Bears. If not, you know, seven, six wins is probably where they project where they uh, do again. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cal. Uh, I don't. I don't know if we can expect them in a bowl game this year. Maybe you know. Cross your fingers for your Cal fan. But now we really get into the meat of the Pac-12. So those top three teams. I don't want to call, call them bottom dwellers, but basement. Yeah, ninety-two, seventy-six, <laughs> sixty-five isn't good. We jump all the way up from sixty-five to thirty-four when we get to U of A, Arizona, and we know that Khalil Tate is a huge piece of this. And if if he's healthy. You know, he's run for 1,400 yards in a season before. He set the Mm -hmm. all-time quarterback uh, rushing record in a single game uh, before Nick. Uh, I mean, U of A, uh, when I see them at nine, I kind of go, man, really? But overall, 34, that's a pretty good combo, which makes you say that the Pac-12 is probably fairly up in the air this season. Yeah, there's, uh, as we'll we'll get to a little bit, there's not much difference between number nine and number five on this list. I mean, there, there's a very, very tight uh, set of teams. Um, and Arizona's kind of perhaps on that outer edge. Um, the schedule sets up fairly well. We actually uh, have them favored in six games and project a win uh, six and a half. So a bowl game is certainly a possibility for this team. Um, and it really, you know, you hate to, to put it all on one player, uh, but it probably comes down to Khalil Tate. I'm a huge Khalil Tate fan. Um, I, I was captivated by him a couple of years ago, just how he exploded onto the scene and, and, you know, just kind of took college football by storm for about a month. And, uh, uh, you know, last year, obviously we didn't see the same Khalil Tate. Um, he should be healthier. The only question that you know comes through my mind as I'm uh, kind of rewatching some games right now and and you know sort of wanting to to see him in action, remind myself how did he look. I don't. I didn't get the feeling that he wanted to run last year. I know he had the ankle injury and it was early in the year and it impacted him you know all year. Uh, but it it kind of seemed like he sort of had the mindset of. I'm going to prove I can be a pocket passer, or if not a pocket passer, I, I'm going to prove I've got NFL uh, skills and NFL skill set. So uh, I wonder, does he want to run? And I hope the the answer to that is yes, because if he does, then Arizona is definitely going to have an opportunity to win more games uh, because he's absolutely dynamic on the ground. And the more of a threat he is to run, the more it's going to open up passing lanes uh, for what's, for the most part, a a new set of wide receivers, um, which is, in my opinion, the biggest question mark for this team right now, uh, other than Tate. Um, It'll open up opportunities for for 
them to move the football in a variety of ways and uh, set them up for success that way. So uh, I'm a little bit concerned uh, that Sean Poindexter is gone. He was an athletic, uh, just incredibly athletic, former volleyball player, tall, would go up and get the ball, um, really in some ways made Tate look a little better perhaps than he was on some high throws and, and, you know, some, some, uh, he came down with some balls that a lot of people wouldn't have. So uh, who's going to step into that role, especially in the red zone this year? Um, but I'm a big fan of Tate. I'm a big fan of uh, J.J. Taylor. He runs much bigger than he is. You know, he's listed at 5'6", 180. Uh, but I think he's he's definitely uh, runs bigger than that. And, you know, defensively, it's always been a, an Achilles heel. But the Wildcats have one of the you know top 20 linebacker units in the country. And uh, Colin Schooler. Um, Mike linebacker is, is highly, highly productive. One of the most productive players at that position in the country. All right. So Xavier, are you kind of with Nick on, you know, it's not fair to put it all on the shoulders of Khalil Tate, but sorry, kid, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Um, unfortunately that is the situation that he finds himself in. Um, and to kind of allude to what Nick was saying earlier, going, I don't, see him changing that aspect of wanting to show people he can pass the football. Um, I think Kevin Sumlin has probably sat him down and talked to him and, and showed him the list of QB he QBs he had at A&M that are either going to the, that either have gone to the pros or will or go to the pros in the future and showed them that, Hey, you can still run and still be a first round draft pick. But I think Khalil Tate has a dead set in his head that he's going to show people he can be a pocket passer. And that's not going to bode well for Arizona this season. Um, he is a dynamic player, as, as you were saying earlier. And what makes him dynamic is his legs. And that's what throws teams off balance. That's what makes defensive coordinators stay up at night. And if he decides that he's going to completely cut off that that side of his game, it's going to be a long season for Arizona. Um, you know, they go as he goes. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he doesn't have much talent on the outside that he probably trusts enough to throw the football to at the moment. Um, his offensive line is is good. It's good. It's not amazing. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as... You when when know, you put a question mark <laughs> at the end of the statement, it doesn't help, you know? It, it's good? <laughs> it, 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 it could be better, but um, this is where his dynamicism comes into play and uh, where he you know, makes up for a bad offensive line or a okay to good offensive line uh, in Arizona. And it's a one-man wrecking crew if he can get it going. And if not, well, in, in Kevin Sumlin's second year, questions will be arose at the towards the end of the season uh, once again. So, yeah. Well, a, a guy I used to coach with had a, had a saying, and, I, you know, a lot of coaches say this, but um, when you have a quarterback that can run and is a is – just an absolute weapon on the ground. It's like you're playing with 12 guys on offense. So if Tate can be the, the you know, even a, a maybe 80% of what he was in 2017, uh, Arizona's going to make a lot of uh, defensive coordinators stay up at night, like you said. Yeah, they're definitely going to be sweating it out. Now, ASU has 
kind of the opposite problem. They're coming in at 28 overall, 8 in the Pac-12, Nick. Uh, but it seems to me that most of this team is going to lie on the shoulders of a guy like Eno Benjamin, who took 300 carries last season. But Manny Wilkins is gone. Uh, Nikhil Harry, a first-round pick in the NFL draft as well. So a lot of weapons. We know what Herm wants to do. He wants to run the ball and stop the run. So how is that going to work for ASU this season, do you think? Well, it'll definitely be interesting to see. I mean, you know, Benjamin, you know, not probably not very many of us uh, really knew a lot about him coming into last season. And he blossomed into definitely one of the best running backs in the Pac-12. And, you know, you'd have to say right now he's one of the best running backs in the country. I mean, I've I've for some reason, uh, the last three games I watched replays of all were all Arizona State games. And I just kept. Uh, I, I was kind of surprised how often I was just saying, wow, when yeah. I saw, you know, Benjamin like running through somebody uh, just sort of, uh, you know, dipping beside uh, and around people. I mean, he, he's uh, a lot of fun to watch and he was incredibly durable for somebody that uh, we've got listed at 201 pounds. I don't know if he's put on a little weight uh, since, you know, the number we've got here, but um like you said, 300 carries. He actually led all FBS players uh, with a 63.5% uh, carry rate. So he took over 63% of Arizona State's uh, rushing attempts last year. Uh, and he caught the ball out of the backfield a lot. So he's definitely the centerpiece of this offense, especially, like you said, now that um, they've got a new quarterback. Is it going to be Dylan Sterling Cole? Is it going to be Jaden Daniels? My money is on Daniels eventually. I don't know if he starts week one, but I would be surprised if he's not the starter in week four or five. Um, and then who's going to step up in the receiving core? Uh, my money, again, is on Brandon Ayuk. Uh, he just kind of he, he was the, uh, the player in that receiving core that kind of jumped off the screen at me with his athleticism. Um, I know Frank Darby put up uh, some big yards per catch numbers last year, and uh, Kyle Williams definitely has um, a, a strong skill set as well. But I think Ayuk definitely uh, seems to be the most athletic player uh, in that position group, and I think he's got an opportunity to, to have a really good year um, as that number one receiver. Uh, strong offensive line, five, five senior starters expected this year, including uh, one of the best centers in the country in Cole Cabral. Um, so this offense, they, they've, they've definitely got some pieces to work with. And Benjamin is, is definitely a, a building block. Um, you just have to hope if you're an Arizona state fan that the quarterback situation works itself out pretty quickly and the receiving core steps up enough to take some pressure off of Benjamin. Cause he's going to see a lot of, you know, eight, nine man boxes, uh, probably until, uh, the Sun Devils prove that, you know, you have to respect the pass. Um, defensively, they had a lot of turnover on the defensive line. Depth there is an issue. They had a couple of transfers, uh, guys transfer out. They had a couple of starters graduate. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a thin group. They did get a transfer in from Rice in Roe Wilkins. He should help. Um, but this defense, it, it struggled at times last year. They ranked 110th in the country in defense, uh, defensive efficiency, um, according to... Uh, Bill Connolly, S&P Plus. So, you know, definitely uh, uh, some shaky areas at times. 
a lot of good sophomore linebackers, Merlin Robertson specifically, and then a couple of exciting guys in the secondary as well, Ashari Crosswell. Uh, a lot of people are saying he could be an All-American candidate eventually, uh, the sophomore there. So it'll be interesting to see. They have a pretty favorable schedule. We actually have them favored in eight games this year, which probably surprises a lot of people who might think that they would take a step back in Herm Edwards' second year, and also especially with the questions at quarterback. Yeah, Xavier, what do you see as the ceiling for this ASU team? I mean, uh, it, it almost seems like this is a Big Ten team playing in the Pac-12 with how much they're going to run this year. Yeah, it's going to be completely different than any Pac-12 team that you're going to watch all season. But I'm on the train. I'm 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 sipping the juice uh, of this ball club. I think that they have a great chance of winning nine ball games this year. To be honest with you, um, and the first reason why that's the case for me is that they don't have many tough road games now no disrespect to the team that they're playing on the road uh but when i look at their schedule michigan state obviously pops up as the first one and uh then ucla utah um those are the only three in my opinion that are you know they're tough road games and they have very they're very favorable um home matchups this year and i think that they having these home matchups is going to give them a chance you know having a uh, possibly a freshman quarterback in Jaden Daniels being your starting quarterback, allowing him to be at home and have his normal rituals and normal, uh, you know, Routine. getting ready and, and all of that. Yeah. It's going to help in his, in his quest of, you know, leading this ball club if he ends up becoming the starter. And when you have a running back like, you know, Benjamin, that you guys were talking about earlier, you can kind of lean on him to start the season. Let the quarterback get his feet under him. Um, you know, the first two matchups are against Kent state and uh, Sacramento State, so allowing the kid to get some reps that are going to be favor and you know very favorable for him going forward. And at the receiver position, they may have lost Nikhil Harry last year, but they have a lot of experience coming back that will be able to you know help out the freshman and be hey, so this is how this route is supposed to go, or it's better if you throw it to this shoulder rather than this one, and just kind of uh, be guides for him throughout the year. And help his growth as a quarterback as well. It's really good when you have senior quarterback or senior receivers with a young quarterback. You know they have a they can, it allows for very good chemistry on that route. So I think Arizona State has a really good chance of winning nine games. If I'm completely wrong, Arizona State fans don't kill me. But <laughs> I think they have a really good shot, and I think this offense is going to be better than what people expect, even with losing uh, their starting quarterback from last season. All right, moving up here, Nick, to Washington State. We got them at seven in the Pac-12. 27 overall, which is, you know, like we said, we've kind of got a jumble here, especially up to number five. But we've seen this story with Mike Leach before, a new quarterback coming in. Uh, but they always seem to find success. Uh, they're favored in seven games, according to our stuff this year. Uh, win probability of a little bit under that, just over six. So what do you think about Washington State? And can Mike Leach uh, turn water into wine again? <laughs> I mean, at, at this point, you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. Um, he's He's been so good over the last four or five years. Um, according to our head coach ratings, he's actually uh, the 11th best coach in the country. Um, and third in the Pac-12, he's got a 90.13 head coach rating. Um, and he's, he's, for a long time, been able to do more with less Um both at Texas Tech and Washington State. Uh, last year, I was certain that Washington State was going to win four, 
five games maybe and uh you know and he he finds a uh quarterback that was going to be a third stringer at alabama um who'd been to four or you know three other schools prior to that and and he ends up becoming a, a Heisman contender, and they win 11 games. So uh, it's it's hard to doubt Mike Leach at this point, um, but this is not what we would call a, a highly talented roster. Um, they've definitely done a good job of finding and developing players. Um, they cast a wide net, especially the receiver group is deep, um, and they've got some really good players there. Uh, but overall, in our roster strength metric washington state ranks 11th in the pac-12 and 60th in the nation so uh pretty much especially in conference play um washington state is the quote-unquote less talented team on the field just about every week so um have to give mike leach a a you know i i've got to trust him um he knows what he's doing especially when it comes to quarterbacks the guys that he's got to choose from are experienced gage gage gabrud the the transfer from eastern washington did a lot of good things there he hadn't played in uh, very much in the last couple of years he's he's had some injuries but uh he is a two-time finalist for the fcs version of the heisman trophy the walter payton award so he's done some really good things and then the two other guys uh that are fighting out for that spot, Anthony Gordon and Trey Tinsley are both seniors. So um, they've been there on campus. They know the playbook inside and out. So you have to think that Leach is going to get those guys coached up. Um, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be a problem offensively. Um, and the defense really is, has been, uh, has exceeded expectations no. over this uh, past, you know, few four, five years uh, winning stretch. Um that they've really made the the biggest uh, amount of growth on defense, and that's why the Cougars have been so good, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, if, if if things don't change too much on on that side of the ball, they obviously uh, had a, a big loss uh, when the the safety um, Thompson, Gerard Thompson, I believe, uh, was ruled ineligible for a senior year. He was a hundred rated player, uh, had to enter the NFL supplemental draft. So that was a big loss, but this unit, you know, defensively, they're they're decent, and as long as they can uh, slow teams down enough, uh, the offense is going to put up points. So Washington State's dangerous; they can beat just about anybody, and I wouldn't be shocked if they, uh, you know, blow pa- blow past our projection again. So Z- uh, Xavier, this team, I mean. Uh, first of all, Mike Leach was asking for Netflix suggestions last night. So uh, do you have any for him, and what do you think of this Washington State team? Well, first off, I'd you know, he probably watches Stranger Things, but uh, go ahead and check it out if you haven't already. Uh, but I, I, can't, I can't say the same amazing things Nick just said. When you look at the numbers, <laughs> this team just... They've been exceeding expectations, and they far exceeded expectations last year. However, I just don't see that being the case this season. I think the Pac-12 is better this year. I think they're deeper this year than they were last year. Um, I think they snuck up on a lot of people. Um, Their schedule last year was even more favorable than it is this season, starting off with they had uh, Eastern Washington, San Jose State, Montana State, and Wyoming were their first four opponents last year. Um, They have UCLA, Houston, 
in those in their first four this year, um, which is not going to allow them to kind of get the train going. Um, I think this train is going to fall off the tracks fairly early. And um, I love Mike Leach. Don't get me wrong. And I think he's a quarterback whisperer and, you know, all the plaudits that he gets, he rightfully deserves. But this team just doesn't have the talent that you would expect of a team that, you know, is coming off an 11 win season. Um, and that alone is something that I look at, something that it's not going to last. You know, you can get hot and you can even get hot for a season. But back to back seasons of, uh, of over exceeding just don't normally happen. Um, so I'm sorry, Wazoo fans. You know, I'm looking at you guys to kind of be more around our win projection, more around six wins, maybe seven. There's going to be a fall off this year. And it's something that's supposed to be expected when you don't have a team with a plethora of talent. So, All right. Xavier is going to lock Washington State in the electrical shed. And we are going to move (laughs) on to UCLA, who we've got 26 overall. uh, And they are the midpoint in the Pac-12 here at six. This is year two for Chip Kelly. Um, we know as far you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson needs to take a big step there. Joshua Kelly is obviously the majority of this offense, Nick. So uh, is UCLA going to kind of break out with Chip Kelly this year? Or are they going to finish right around 500 and, you know, be hoping for a bowl again? Uh, UCLA scares me a little bit, to be <laughs> honest. So uh, I, I just did a, a, an update of the roster strength ratings and the team strength ratings, which uh, when we're saying this team is ranked 26th in the country and 6th in the Pac-12, we're talking about the team strength rating. That's our overall power rating, power ranking, whatever you want to call it. So uh, what we're saying here is is UCLA on paper uh, or on spreadsheet is – the 26th strongest team in the country. Um, They would be favored to beat uh, everybody but the top 25 on a neutral site. That worries me because the team we saw last year, especially in the first uh, half to first three quarters of last season, was nowhere near a top 25 team. Uh, I mean, obviously, this team won three games last year. Um, They didn't look really good at all in the first half. Came on a bit late, but... Uh, it worries me that our numbers have UCLA rated this strongly. Um, <laughs> Chip Kelly, he, he you know, he, he was a great head coach at Oregon, uh, did some good things in the NFL. This time last year, he was ranked number three in our head coach ratings. But last year's performance dropped him all the way down to 38th and six in the Pac-12. So uh, will there be a year two bump? You know, we see that a lot across college football. You know, Georgia took a huge step forward in the second year under Kirby Smart. I don't expect that to happen with UCLA. But a lot of times, more often than not, it seems, in year two, a team really does take a a step forward. And this team has top 40 talent. Uh, They're 37th in the country in roster strength. That's only eighth in the Pac-12. Um, and recruiting uh, is a long-term question mark. I don't know if either of you guys listen to the podcast of Champions, the Pac-12 podcast, uh, but the, the one of the hosts is, is a UCLA guy, and, and he's just, uh, I think, voicing what a lot of the fans out west are, think of Chip Kelly, and he's just not putting in the time and effort into recruiting. Huh. So maybe this is going to, you know, Maybe that roster strength rating is going to keep falling farther and farther down. But if you can find a guy like Joshua Kelly, you know, he's, he's an FCS transfer, comes in and, and just does great things immediately. Um, had to give him a boost in his uh, ratings. Uh, gave him an, what we call an eye test override to his uh, talent projection just because he's, he's 
one of the best running backs in the Pac-12. Um, so because I made that adjustment just a couple of days ago, uh, that bumped UCLA. They were low 30s, 33 or so, jumped up to 26 because the running back position got a lot stronger. Um Man, uh, it scares me because uh, I don't. I just don't know. I don't know. Uh, they've got some some talent. Thompson Robinson seems like a perfect perfect fit. Uh, the offensive line, four starters return. Um, they're probably going to start a true freshman at left tackle, but you know he's a highly regarded player. Uh, could be a you know could develop into a great player and could be sooner rather than later. Um, but this was a team that on defense especially, did not rush the passer very well. Um, they were uh, put up really poor numbers in deficient, uh, defensive efficiency. Um, their field position was a nightmare all around. 127th on offense, their starting point, and 114th on defense. So um, there's a lot of room for improvement. But, you know, on the, on the <laughs> other hand. <laughs> You're talking in circles, I, I Nick. You I can't, can't make do up it. my mind about UCLA. And, and <laughs> I feel like that's what most people think about UCLA this season is, you know, uh, they're a, uh, a solid maybe, which is never a good place <laughs> mm-hmm. to be in. And so, Xavier, right. I mean, have, have you have you formed a strong opinion on UCLA either way as far as, you know, Look, they've got DRT. This is Chip Kelly's second year. This is the year they make that jump. Or, yeah, I don't know. He wasn't that good last year. This defense didn't improve that much. Uh, so what do you think about UCLA? If I was a UCLA fan, I'd still be a hard maybe. Um, this team <laughs> has so much talent. And I think that's what is so confusing about this team is uh, we have multiple guys on offense and defense who are 90-plus rated. And when you look at that, what what comes to mind is, well, why were they so bad? And I think one of the biggest issues for the ball club last year were just they never really got started. Uh, the, the Chip Kelly train never found the tracks last season, and I think that that was very indicative of the way that they started the season, losing to Cincinnati, then blown out by Oklahoma, blown out by a Fresno team that they probably went in big-headed against at home, and then losing to Colorado the week after. The team never found its footing, and by the time, you know, during the purple patch in the season – it was it was too little too late. And, you know, the three wins that they had last year were, were probably exactly what they looked like after their first four games. And for to be honest with you, you see the same kind of makeup this year. They start with Cincinnati again on the road. They, they start with San Diego State, which is not going to be an easy game. And then they play Oklahoma at home. And if they start off one and two or possibly zero and three, all this talent's going to mean absolutely nothing to the overall win percentage of this ball club if they can't get you know, any momentum going. That's a, that's a big thing in college football when you're playing with kids is getting their confidence up and getting momentum going, especially with a sophomore quarterback who people expect a lot of, especially after watching him in the Elite 11. People like this kid and they want him to succeed. And so they're going to be looking for him to do so in a big way in his second year under Chip Kelly. Uh, but like I said, if they don't get on the tracks early on, especially against Cincinnati and if they even slip up against San Diego State, this team, again, could be a four-win team. Uh, four, maybe even five win team, um, you know, and be under the projections that we have them at. So, uh, all right, Nick, USC, uh, they are ranked one spot ahead of UCLA. So, this is obviously a very closely related team as far as rankings go and projections go. Uh, you know, also going to be favoring about half of their games, but for whatever reason, maybe it's just because of, you know, 
USC has a longer winning tradition than UCLA recently. <laughs> uh, I feel way more confident about USC. And uh, are you a solid maybe on USC as well? Or do you think that they're going to be uh, a little bit better this year? I'm I'm slightly bullish on USC. And that also worries me because uh, <laughs> the the... Uh, model was definitely bullish on USC last season. The, the thought they had the top si- uh, top secondary in the country. Um, you know, a lot of talented players all across the depth chart. Uh, I think we had them winning like nine or ten games or something. Uh, obviously, <laughs> came up well short of that. <laughs> um, and it, it scares me because it, it's kind of the the opposite problem of UCLA. Uh, because I do, even though he didn't earn it necessarily last year and, and maybe even, you know, especially, you know, with the 49ers and whatnot, Chip Kelly, I, I, I kind of trust Chip Kelly. I don't trust Clay Helton and that, you know, I, I, I hate to say that about a coach. Um, but you know, there's, there's, when there's, What's the saying? When there's smoke, there's fire, or where, where there's, there's smoke, where there's, there's, fire. Smoke, there's fire. And yeah. and his his seat is smoking right now. I mean, we've <laughs> we've heard about you know Clay Helton's going to get fired for the last you know fifty two weeks. Yeah, he seems to be so, the placeholder until they bring in a huge name. You know, that kind of yeah, seems absolutely. like what's it is what it is with him. So uh, it will be interesting because this definitely seems like his last chance, and he has done. Uh, you know, he, he's made a big change by going to uh, the air raid offensively. And, you know, Clay Helton is, is an offensive guy. He's a former play caller. And, and so I'm sure that it, it pains him a little bit to hand over the keys to what is arguably, you know, one of the uh, best wide receiver cores in the country uh, to a former five-star quarterback. Uh, you've got yeah, just highly, highly rated uh, players all over the field running back. Uh, this team in uh, what's going to be Graham Harrell, former uh, North Texas offensive coordinator, in his system on paper, again, should do very, very well, should put up big numbers. Uh, Michael Pittman is an athletic freak. Uh, he's a 100-rated player. Amon Ross St. Brown might be one of my favorite players uh, in the country. Uh, I think he's just set for big, big things. Tyler Vaughns is perhaps one of the most underrated receivers in the Pac-12. So uh, there's definitely options. Those guys are, are going to put up some really good numbers. You have to expect JT Daniels is the front runner to start. They haven't said it officially, but I, I have to think he started 11 games as a true freshman. He's going to be the guy. I think he's going to take another step forward. If Stephen Carr can stay healthy, uh, he's a, a, a weapon out of the backfield as a pass catcher as well. Um, plus, and I'm I'm going to apologize for mispronouncing. Uh, Vave Malapai, I believe, is uh, the other running back there. Close enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, he is uh, also just a talented guy, and both of those guys are over 200 pounds. Um, so they've got depth. They've got talent. The offensive line, the air raid should help. Um, they were not great last year. Obviously, it was a weakness uh, of the team. But uh, working a little quicker and, and timing routes and quick game, things like that, is probably going to help the offensive line. The quarterbacks can get rid of the ball faster, so they're going to look better, at least statistically, not give up as many sacks and, and things like that. So um, I feel good about the offense. Defensively, 
again, talent everywhere. Front seven <laughs> might be one of the best in the Pac-12. Linebacker core, we've got two guys that are 100 rated. Uh, that includes Christian Rector, who I know is a, a defensive end most of the time, but we, we've got it listed in our linebacker depth chart right now. But um, they've got talent everywhere. Jay Tufele, uh, defensive lineman, is an All-American candidate. Um, the, the question is the secondary, very inexperienced, um, but this is the most talented team in the Pac-12. They're ranked eighth in the FBS in roster strength at an 89.2. Um, you just, can we trust Clay Helton? Can he survive what really is one of the toughest schedules in the country? Um, you know, that, that game against Fresno State, is uh, that's not going to be a, a cakewalk. Um, then they've got Stanford right away. BYU can be tough, especially in Provo. They play uh, Utah at home and then at Washington. Uh, that's the first five games. And we're going to find can out quickly. make it to the bye week? I don't right. know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to find out very, very quickly. Xavier, are, are, are you on this same train here? It's uh, unbelievable talent, questionable coaching for USC, right? Yeah, but... Sometimes talent makes up for mediocre coaching, and I think that that's what USC is going to be a lot of this year. Um, I think USC is going to be probably one of my favorite teams to watch in the Pac-12 this year, as most of their games, in my opinion, are going to be complete shootouts. And that bodes well when you have a lot of talent. Um, And offensively, they're stacked. I mean, I feel like we talk about this on a regular basis, about USC having talent, just not getting it to play to their numbers, to their projections, to possibly even their future draft picks. Um, But this team, when you look at the grand scheme of things, should be a team that should challenge for the Pac-12 title. Now, let me press my statement. I'm not saying they will. I'm saying they should, talent-wise, at least. And when you look at their schedule, yes, they do have that, you know, daunting five-game start. And then, of course, they have Notre Dame right after the bye week. But... After that, they have a bit of a purple patch. You know, they have Arizona and Colorado, and we're going to not talk about Oregon, but Arizona State, Cal, and UCLA to finish off the year. So if they can kind of slowly get through the five-game window that they start off with and maybe come out three and two and and four and one possibly, this team could easily be, you know, we're going into the end of the Notre Dame game thinking about, okay, this team might be in the top 25. You know, they beat Arizona and Colorado. This team is seven and one. And we're really looking at them to challenge for the Pac-12. Um, now, like I, we said, and we've been talking about, Clay Houghton scares me. Um, you know, I've never seen somebody have the keys to a Lamborghini and possibly crash it, but he could do it. <laughs> uh, you know, um, th- you know, when you have this much talent and when you've recruited this well, you expect him to also be able to do it on the field, and he just hasn't done it yet. If he doesn't do it this year, I mean, he's absolutely gone. Um, you said it correctly, his seat's smoking. Uh, there might be little flames sparking up from it. I think <laughs> Clay has a – and I think he knows it. Um, and I think that may affect some of his play calling this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he went for it on a fourth down every now and then uh, to kind of try to save his job early on. So uh, USC, they could be a really b- good ball club, but I feel like we've been saying that for a while now. So, Nick, the top four teams here, and we're starting at four, uh, number 16 overall in our rankings, Oregon. Uh, these are the uh, these top four teams are the ones where they're going to be favored in most of their games. The win projections probably aren't going to match the games that they're favored in, but these are really good teams. Starting out with Oregon, who should be on TV 
a ton this season because Herbert is a huge NFL draft prospect and he already has uh, fairly high odds it's between him and Tua right now as to who's going to go number one. Obviously, a full season is going to change that th- that ranking, but uh, this seems to be uh, a fun team to watch and a team that has recruited incredibly well over the last few years. Absolutely. Uh, Oregon, all these top four teams are Pac-12 contenders. Uh, And in fairness, you know, USC maybe should be in that group a little bit, even though we only have them favored in six games. I mean, Clay Helton did coach his team to a Rose Bowl just a couple of years ago. But anyway, uh, Oregon, uh, (laughs) this team really doesn't have any weaknesses. I mean, we're, we're looking down. The depth chart, like you said, Herbert at quarterback uh, is is very uh, highly regarded among pro scouts. You know, he's got an NFL prototype frame. He's experienced. He's done some good things. Uh, he stayed healthy last year, which was big. They've got a couple of sophomore running backs who uh, have, have done really well. C.J. Verdell, it seems like, is probably the the uh, number one guy. Um, going to get most of the carries, but both of those guys are uh, quality ball carriers receiver uh, it was it was an issue the Oregon uh, led the country in drops last year they brought in Penn State transfer Jawan Johnson who of course did have some drop issues uh, with the Nittany Lions but uh, they've got a really talented group of uh, freshman receivers that I'm excited to see uh, Micah Pittman particularly um, is a, a very highly rated player uh, true freshman and then Brian Addison uh, 6'5 he's, uh, he's skinny listed at 6'5 180 um, but uh, played just four games last year and redshirted I think he's got an opportunity to break out and then this is probably the best offensive line in the country um, they've got four senior starters uh, and then the other guy a sophomore left tackle is probably an all-american candidate so um, this is this offense on paper should do very very well and then defensively you know uh, the back seven i said the usc front seven might be the best in the in the conference oregon's back seven probably is the best they've got 200 rated linebackers 200 rated defensive backs uh plus they've got a true freshman coming in who's replacing the only departed starter uh, in the secondary who uh, coaches said during the spring they thought was the top cornerback in the country uh, in Michael Wright. So if the defensive line, um, you know, can, can uh, hold it down, uh, control the line of scrimmage uh, well enough up front, and they got a big boost with Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, some people thought was the number one recruit in the country uh, who's going to be a rush end for them. Um, this team has the talent to compete week in and week out. We've got them favored to win 10 games. Uh, according to the projections, it, it seems like some of those that they're favored to win are probably uh, toss-ups. We only expect them to win eight, maybe nine. Um, so this team's got the talent to to maybe push for a playoff spot, but, um, you know, it, 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 we just haven't seen it quite yet. And, and the schedule isn't the easiest. It, it doesn't set up particularly well if, if you're wanting to make a playoff run. What do you think, Xavier? Are the Ducks going to click this season? If they do, we'll know day one, game one. Uh, going, I mean, they're, they're playing Auburn. We'll, we'll, we'll know from the beginning of the season on the first, you know, sort of weekend, that how good this Oregon team can be. Um, and honestly, that game, in my mind, is a, is a is a playoff game for them. If they beat Auburn, 
you know, week one, I think that sends a message to everybody. And that's kind of the first, it'll be one of the first big wins for a, uh, a program. And that to send them on their way. If they, if they handle that game, like, you know, their talent suggests they should, then Oregon could easily be challenging for the playoffs. My biggest, my biggest fear with Oregon, and this is kind of based off of what happened last season is I'm looking for them to be a little bit more consistent. Um, last year, you know, they had some weird losses in their schedule that doesn't make sense for a team of this kind of talent. Um, with the quarter, when, when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert, um, who has every right to be thought of as a number one draft pick, uh, but when you look at, you know, a, a, when you look at them losing to Washington State and the very next week, it felt like they just couldn't turn it on against Arizona, getting absolutely obliterated in Tucson. That worries me um, because it makes it, it makes it seem like it's a team that's, you know, needs momentum, needs confidence to produce on the field. And will one slip up lead them to a, you know, cascading down a mountain of, of, of losses or even, you know, one or two losses in college football invariably writes you out of the college football playoff. And they can't afford that this year. They can't afford any slip ups against any teams that don't belong in the same, you know, bracket as them when it comes to winning. Um, so that worries me a tad bit. Um, however, you know, you stay start off the season six to no, that could, you know, shut me up really fast. But, you know, this Oregon team, as you alluded to, has amazing talent. They just need to put it together and they need to be a little bit more consistent um, and not have any games where they don't come to play right away, where they let a bad team or even just a good team stay with them and uh, possibly slip up um, in this uh, in this upcoming season. Now, moving up to three here, Nick, Stanford ranked 15. Obviously, experience a quarterback, a uh, big tight end. They always seem to have a running back work his way in. I don't know that Cameron Scarlett is as good as McCaffrey and Love were, but he's still going to be fairly good and an integral uh, integral part of this, this team. Uh, the defense looks to be uh, decent as well. So Stanford is just maybe the most unexciting good team in the country every single <laughs> year. So what do we think about Stanford this season? Yeah, a lot of people listening uh, or our Patreon supporters who've seen our rankings over the last couple of months have probably been most surprised at where Stanford is. I'm probably most surprised at where Stanford is, 15th in the country. We have them favored in 11 games, including every Pac-12 game. Uh, that worries me a little bit because the last I saw on their uh, win total projection uh, sports books is six and a half, I think. So uh, it worries me a little bit that we're this bullish on Stanford. And, and part of the reason is this is one of the least experienced teams in the country. Um, our Patreon supporters have access to our returning production database. Uh, one of our patrons actually reached out to me uh, asking for a little bit more information compiling games started. Um, we have those in our team profiles, but we don't have, you know, team by team, here's the, the raw numbers. Um, so I, I went through and I did that today, and I noticed Stanford offensive and defensive starters combined have, have made 150 career starts. That's the fewest of any team in the country other than UAB. So UABs have 148. They had pretty much a, a brand new roster uh, after uh, when the program was shut down a couple of years ago. Uh, and, and Stanford is, is just behind them as far as uh, returning starters. So that worries me a little bit. But this team is highly talented. Um, you brought up KJ Costello, a quarterback. He's a 100-rated player. Um, the, the tight end, uh, Parkinson is a great 
player might be the the or he is the highly most highly rated uh, tight end currently active in in FBS as far as his two four seven rating coming out of uh, high school uh, and he's a ninety four rated uh, player um, at left tackle uh, Walker Little is getting a lot of all American attention and um, potentially some all American uh, uh, excuse me uh, first round NFL draft attention and then Paulson Adebo the uh, all the freshman all American cornerback. Um, is definitely on the short list as far as the the top corner in the country. So they've got some elite players, um, but it, it, you know there's a lot of unknowns. Um, obviously, you know they they are working in a lot of new players at linebacker. Only eleven total starts in uh, in that unit. Only twenty nine total starts on the defensive line. Twenty one total starts career for the receivers, and ten of those are Parkinson. So you're going to need somebody like Osiris St. Brown to step up and be kind of the JJ Ortega Whiteside of last year. Um, if this team is going to reach uh, our expectations, uh, and you know, at eleven and one and nine and zero in the Pac-12, we only have them losing to uh, Notre Dame. If you just went by their uh, who they're favored against. That's a potential playoff team. So, you know, that might be somebody that could definitely surprise across the country, but it's also hard to trust because there's so many uh, new faces that uh, David Shaw is going to be relying on this year. All right, Xavier, Stanford, are they, are you, are you with me? They're uh, the highest ranked boring team in the country. Absolutely. But isn't that them every year? I mean, yes. this team should be in the SEC probably. Um with the way that they play, at least their playing style. I don't know about their talent level, but I digress. This team, Nick, pretty much said said it best. There's just ifs all over the place. You know, if their young receiving core can step up this year, if their offensive line can play consistently, if Costello can continue what he did last year on the numbers that he did last year, 29 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, if he can, you know, expand on that this season without having uh, his two favorite targets uh, back on offense. Stanford's weird. You know, I, I know our win projections have them, you know, going 11 and one, but something just makes me feel like that's just not going to happen. Um, love David Shaw, but, you know, he's never been, I don't think he's ever been thought of as a miracle worker. Um, I think he does really good with what he has, but I don't think he's ever been thought of as a guy who's going to take a team that people don't have playing well and make, and turning them into a, a championship contender. And that's kind of what I see with the Stanford team, you know, Experience does have some right to say, you know, how good a team's going to be. And when you start the season off with, you know, as much youth as they have, and it's not like they get any breaks to start the season off. They start the season off with Northwestern, Stanford, I mean, sorry, Northwestern, USC, UCF, and Oregon. That's no time for any of these young, you know, cores to get their, you know, their their bearings under them and get, you know, get ready for what's going to be a daunting season in the Pac-12. It's, there's no favors being done for Stanford this year. So for me, 11 wins is a huge stretch by our numbers. Um, I see them more of the 8-9 win like they were last year. You know, I expect David Shaw to have his team ready. But there's something to be said about uh, not having enough experience for some of these big-time matchups that they're going to be facing off of the, you know, off jump. So Now, Nick, let's uh, move to your secret favorite team here. Uh, <laughs> the, the Utah Utes uh, well, ranked 13 in FBS, two in the conference. Uh, I mean, you have already talked about them in multiple places, so I'll just let you kind of uh, do your your QVC pitch of of the Utah Utes here. Absolutely. Well, 
and I, I hate to, to go back. Uh, one last word on Stanford. I misspoke. We don't have them favored uh, against Notre Dame. Or excuse me, we do have them favored against Notre Dame. We actually have them as an underdog to UCF, but they play one, two, three, four, oh, wow. five, six toss-up games. So six games with their win yeah. probabilities between 45 and 60. So they're going to have to walk a tight rope to get to that 11 wins. That's why we only have them projected actually to win 7.6. But uh, you're absolutely right. Utah, I, I love Utah this year. Um, we also have the Utes favorite in 11 games. The only uh, game that they are an underdog in is, uh, I believe, the Washington game. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so Utah is uh, definitely a Pac-12 contender. Um, and this is a, a, a very interesting team. They're the biggest gainer in our roster strength over uh, the last year from the end of 2018 to the start of 2019. And that's because they've got their quarterback and their running back back. Uh, Tyler Huntley and uh, Zach Moss were both knocked out at the end of last year. Both of them, we believe, are fully healthy now. And so they're back in the depth chart. And so that number has uh, skyrocketed back up. Uh, And it's kind of interesting because we've, uh, or I have at least for the last few years, have thought Utah has always been a very dangerous team. They're always a very physical team, but they haven't been uh, the most talented team on the field. They've been coached up. They've been developed. Um, the you know obviously strength program is big, um, and some of their guys are a little older, which gives a little bit of a uh, an advantage as well. But this is actually. Um, a talented team, especially on defense. We actually rate in our, our roster strength metrics for overall defense. We rate Utah as the number one uh, talented defense in the Pac-12. Um, they rank in the top 16 nationally at all three levels, defensive line, linebacker, and in the secondary. Um, and they've got up front, I mean, this might be, I know a lot of people are talking about Auburn and, and you know, Clemson's going to reload and, and whatever. This might be the best defensive line in the country. They've got three all-conference players on the defensive line. Um, they're the number one unit in the Pac-12 in our defensive line strength rating. Uh, and they're a fringe top 10 uh, in the country as far as that talent goes. So I love Utah. Uh, I, I think they're <laughs> a dark horse uh, national championship contender. Um uh, that that's pretty much all I've got to say. <laughs> uh, all right, okay. Xavier, do you, do you have matching Love enthusiasm for Utah? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> national championship contender took me back uh, a ways, but Utah. I, before I get into what I dislike about Utah, Utah, you're right. Utah is a very talented team, and for the first time, we are looking at a Utah team that competes talent-wise. You know, we always think about Utah as being one a trap game. Um, and you go in, you know, you go to Utah and people think, well, you know, a Washington could slip up an Oregon or a Stanford could slip up there. It's not easy to win in Utah. However, I'm going to point to a, a very prominent position that I really am, am questioning when it comes to this Utah team. And it has to be quarterback. Uh, Tyler Huntley, even through the nine games that he played last year before getting hurt, he had 12 touchdowns, six INTs, and he had thrown for 1,788 yards. Those aren't national championship quarterback numbers. Um, and I just don't see a quarterback who's going to, you know, I may be wrong about this, but it's going to take the reins and be able to lead this team when they need him to. And that kind of scares me. Um, he's not a very, he's not a great quarterback. And, and in college football, 
oftentimes you need a great quarterback to win a national championship. And that in itself, for me, scares me a little bit. Uh, I know you have him ranked, you know, that position ranked seventh in the Pac-12. And that, you know, that that puts a little fear in me when it comes to this quarter, when it comes to this Utah team. And I think that, you know, their defense, as you said, is stacked. But if your quarterback doesn't put you in favorable situations as a defense, then it won't matter. Um, so Utah, not going to make them a national championship contender like my <laughs> counterpart. Here. Um, I think that if Tyler Huntley does come to play in every single ball game, there's a shot that they have. Uh, but I'm not on the Utah train as Nick is right now. I'm going to have to see some more from Tyler Huntley as he comes back from injury. This is going to smell like an off-season bet that we're going to have here. So uh, we're definitely going to have to do something here. But let's get to the number one team in the Pac-12, Nick. Uh, it's the Washington Huskies. Nine overall, so a top ten overall ranked team. Number one in the Pac-12. Uh, Washington, everything's looking up here. Eason comes in, the transfer from Georgia. Uh, I've, are you, are you rooting? Are you a guy that roots for the transfers from your favorite team? Or are you a guy that's like, ah, no, that guy left. I don't care what he does now. Well, well, I, I did go to Georgia. Uh, so I do keep a, a closer eye on, uh, Georgia perhaps than some of the other, uh, teams around. So I, I did get an opportunity to see Eason uh, play a lot his freshman year. And I think I think people are forgetting that he showed some flashes of what made him uh, the top-rated recruit uh, as a quarterback in the country coming out of high school. Um, he's got a cannon for an arm. Um, he's got a little bit of mobility. He's he's <laughs> not a statue, but, but he's, you know, uh, or excuse me, he, he's not Khalil Tate, but he's also not a statue. So um, I think Eason has an opportunity to fulfill his potential. I know he was uh, scout team player of the year last year um, for Washington. He's been in the system for a year, which gives him maybe a, a step up over some of the uh, you know grad transfers or uh, waiver transfers that are coming in and playing right away. So I think that helps. Um, I, I think Eason has an opportunity uh, and uh, Saban Ahmed as well. I think that it's actually possible that the two of them might end up by the end of the year. We will be thinking of uh, those two as a quarterback running back upgrade over uh, Browning and Gaskin from last year. And I know Gaskin was, uh, I believe he's a, a school's all time leading rusher. And, and, you know, he, he was a great, great player. Um, but I was watching Washington, Oregon State uh, over the other day and, and heard Yogi Roth, uh, the uh, analyst. He says he believes that Ahmed is the, the most talented player on the field anytime he steps on the field. Um, just the most dynamic, the most exciting, the most athletic player. So that to me um, gets me excited about the potential uh, at running back specifically, and then the experience having seen Eason a couple of years ago. And, and let's not forget, he didn't necessarily lose the job at Georgia to Jake Fromm. He got injured. Fromm came in, led the team on a, a winning streak, and Eason just wasn't able to, to step back in and, and take over. And so he took the opportunity to move back closer to home. So Eason, I think people are underrating him. I think he's definitely has an opportunity to to develop into uh, the type of player we thought he would be coming out of high school. Um, and he's definitely working with 
the best coach in the league as far as our numbers go. Uh, Chris Peterson is the number seven uh, head coach in the country in our uh, head coach ratings. He's got a 91.82. Um, again, tops in the uh, Pac-12. Um, they've got uh, a, a year removed from Jonathan, Jonathan Smith moving on to Oregon State. So uh, you have to think that the maybe there were some growing pains there, switching the play caller duties over. Um, hopefully in the second year, that'll be smoothed out a little bit. Um, they've got a strong offensive line. Uh, they lost a, a first-rounder, but the guy that's going to replace him, uh, redshirted last year, Trey Adams, uh, was a freshman All-American a few years ago, and he's a 100-rated player, according to VGR+. Plus. So the offensive line should be very good. And then we found in the past that uh, returning production for receiver is the highest correlated with success uh, from one year to the next. That's the position group that, that it seems to matter most, uh, whether they're um, experienced or not. And Washington returns 92% of its receiving yards, which is the most in the Pac-12. Um, they're getting maybe the most athletic uh, tight end in the country, hopefully, for a full season um, in Hunter Bryant. Uh, so this team has unlimited potential. Um, I definitely think having them favored in 11 games uh, that, that does not scare me. Um, it will be tough. We actually only have them projected to win nine, uh, and Washington has slipped up a few times, uh, unexpectedly in the past last year with Cal being the, the game that really sticks out most. Um, it's going to depend on the defense and, and they have a track record of being able to reload on that side of the football. Um, their front seven doesn't rate particularly high, according, according to our metrics. Uh, the secondary is a little thinner than you would like, but mm -hmm. there's talent all over the uh, all over the depth chart, and uh, Washington could beat anybody uh, on any given night. I mean, uh, is is Washington just a cut ahead of everybody else? Like Nick has kind of made the case for here, Xavier in the Pac-12. I think so, and I, and I think that's pretty much because of the amount of talent that they're bringing back. I think that they almost have somewhat of a head start in that regard. Now, I'm going to, you know, we're gonna, you talked earlier about, you know, whether or not as a Georgia fan, do you follow your uh, respective transfers as fame. they leave? Didn't say fame. Okay. I said, get there. <laughs> True. <laughs> and my, my favorite team is Texas. I'm, I'm, but, I'm not even going to hide my bias. So <laughs> Right. I, I will say if Georgia were to play another team, I'd, I would probably root for Georgia. I'm not saying I'm a fan, but I'd probably root for them against <laughs> Any other team. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, when we look at Jacob Eason, I don't know what to expect from Eason. Um, the last time we saw him, it was on a rollout. He got injured. And I don't know what to expect from him going into this year. And that's the only thing that kind of worries me about Washington is that in his time with Georgia, there were highs and there were lows. There was the Tennessee game. There was the Missouri game. And then there was other games where you were like, okay, Eason, are you going to do anything today? Like when we played Florida. That kind of worries me um, in that, you know, is he going to be able to be consistent in his in his first year as a starting quarterback? Now, Washington has a very, very favorable schedule for him to get that momentum going all early on. They start with Eastern Washington, Cal and Hawaii all at home to start the season off. So if there's any, you know, any time for him to get cooking early, it's it's this season. 
So Jacob Eason is my only worry. If it had been Browning coming back, you know, you know, for whatever reason or anything like that, I'd easily have this team probably rattling off 10 to 11 wins uh, like they did last year. But with Eason there, that's the only question mark I have. The team is, is stacked all the way around. Uh, the But the only thing, you know, Nick alluded to earlier that also worries me is that Washington tends to slip up. You know, last year and the year prior to that, they had some head-scratching losses. Uh, 2017, they go and lose in Austin at Arizona State after running through the Pac-12 to start off the year. It, it You know, they have these really head-scratching losses, and that's something that is normally internal and has to do with not being focused and feeling like you're the best team in the country, um, even when you haven't necessarily proved it to everybody yet. And the Pac-12 knows that. They know that coming into games. Washington has tended to sleep the last couple years in, in against teams that, uh, you know, they obviously don't think are better than them. Um, that's a worry for me if I would be a Washington fan when you look at the way that the schedule is built and you look at the fact that they play in Arizona on the road um, after playing Stanford and USC back-to-back games. If they could win both of those, Arizona would be a, a very a trap game with Khalil Tate, you know, depending on how he's playing. It's a game that easily Washington could slip up in, you know, in the first, uh, in the second week of October. You know, that's a game. And looking ahead to Oregon the next week, mm. that's a mm-hmm. game that Washington could lose and slip up like as they have in the past. So, All right. That is the Pac-12 in a nutshell for everybody. And uh, remember, you can find us all on Twitter. I am at Bogman Sports. Nick is CFB Winning Edge and Xavier is at Xavier Trish. Just to spell that for you. X-A-V-I-E-R underscore T-R-I. C-H-E, and we are brought to you by CFB Winning Edge Patreon. Uh, Nick, uh, tell us about the Patreon and what we can expect to find over there. Absolutely. Well, uh, if you've been, if you've made it this far, you've heard uh, a lot of numbers we've been throwing out, and this team is favored by this much, and and uh, this player is rated a 95, and roster strength, and all that. All of that information can be found uh, in a series of Google Sheets that are available only to our patrons. Uh, we've got three levels. Uh, they start at five dollars per month, go up to an elite package of fifty dollars per month, uh, which actually allows you an opportunity to. Uh, download, save a copy, and edit those sheets for your own personal use. Um, So uh, you have an opportunity. We've got over uh, 11,000 player ratings. Every single player um, has been given a VGR Plus rating uh, for their overall uh, strength. And then we use those, build upon those, throw in our coaches' ratings, uh, and build a power ranking for each team. And that's how we've ranked these teams uh, that we've talked about today. Uh, If you want to learn more, go to patreon.com slash CFB winning edge, or you can email CFB winning edge at gmail.com. I'll be happy to answer any questions that you've got. Next week, we'll be previewing the big 12, especially Uh my Texas Longhorns. (laughs) So we will see you guys next week. Uh, Have a great week, everybody.